This morning, you're in for a blessing. We have Brother Lewis Hogan going to bring the word today, and I've already heard him once, and I get to hear him again. So uh, let's give him a little welcoming. Brother Lewis, it's yours. All right. Is everybody doing good today? Awesome. Uh, so good to be with you guys, and uh, love Pastor Allen and Yvette. And uh, actually, I'm, I was at Shady Grove on staff at Shady Grove Executive Pastor there at Shady Grove from 2004 to 2012, and that was long after the, Allen uh, had left. And uh, but we got to know him over the years through different events at Shady Grove, and um, he's a member of uh, AOI with uh, Pastor Olin, and just love that couple. We actually saw them a couple of weeks ago in um, Cisco, Texas. There was a Christian Value Summit in Cisco, out in the middle of nowhere. 700 pastors gathered together in Cisco for this Christian Value Summit a couple of weeks ago, and we saw uh, Pastor Allen there. And I uh, just appreciate them so much, their heart for our nation and uh, heart for revival. And that's what we're going to be talking some about today. And I'm glad to have my wife and my two sons with me, uh, Jacob and Jonathan. And Jacob is a student at Baylor in Waco. And Jonathan is 11, and he's just an 11-year-old. Great kid, and uh, uh, and then my, my wife. So appreciate my wife and on this journey with me. So, uh, Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter two, verse fourteen. We're going to get started today uh, with a message. Put this right back here. Man, Acts two, verse fourteen. The word says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall dream visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Can everybody say amen to the word today? I mean, I love this one of my favorite scriptures, of course, taken from Joel chapter 2, uh, 228. And, um, you know, uh, we are a nation that is in great need of revival and awakening in this day and this hour. Our nation is in great need of revival and awakening. And there's been times from the very beginning of our nation where at critical times in the history of our nation, God sent a great outpouring of revival and awakening. And uh, I really believe that our nation was birthed on revival and awakening. If you take the Puritans, the Puritans were, uh, of course, in England, the Puritans were so uh, concerned about what was happening in the Church of England at that time, uh, how government was intruding into the church, the, the, the control of the government in the church, and uh, just stymieing down what was happening in the church. The Puritans, because they had such a desire in their hearts to see true revival, see true awakening take place, there was a, a hunger and yearning in their heart that they would leave England and come to the New World, America. And that's what brought them here was this deep hunger for the Lord. And they, they loved the word of God. And it's from the very beginning, the Puritans really began to establish our nation upon, based upon the word of God, their love of scripture. Even our founding fathers, which led to our founding fathers, and, and uh, 
Many of you, uh, I've grown up in school, of course, going through elementary school and high school, and many of you have done that also or are in that process right now. And there's a part of our history that has either been totally left out or has been totally revised to take out all references to Christianity in the history of our nation. And I said, as I said earlier, I love David Barton from Wall Builders. I don't know if you guys are familiar with David Barton, but I love that man. I believe he is so responsible to introduce to our nation, once again, our godly heritage as a nation, the Judeo-Christian heritage that we have as a nation. And uh, but m- Because most of that has been taken out of our public school system and much of our history classes. And uh, I feel like the Lord is bringing that in, that we're aware of our, of our Christian heritage. Even uh, one, of the, one of the kind of the myths that has gone in many history classes in our school system is to say that our founding fathers were not born-again believers, Christian men. They, they were deists. They were not really on fire for the Lord. And I want to tell you today that that is absolutely not true, that many of our founding fathers, in fact, uh, 52 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were orthodox, deeply committed believers and Christians. The other four, they're not part of that 52, were believed the Bible as the divine truth, the God of Scripture, and as personal intervention in the affairs of men. So we have our founding fathers, 52 of 56, who were deeply committed believers. The other four believed in the Word of believed in the Word of God, believed in God. So anytime you hear that again to say, our founding fathers were really not Christian men, that's absolutely not the truth. Or if you hear someone say that we were not founded as a Christian nation, that is absolutely not the truth. We were founded as a Christian nation from our very beginning. I'm so thankful for that today. Can you say amen to that? Our founding fathers envisioned a government that would promote Christianity. But promote Christianity. We were, uh, as I said, we were birthed as a Christian nation. We've had two major great awakenings in the history of our nation that came at critical times in the history. When we were facing critical times, two great awakenings took place. The first great awakening took place from 1730 until 1760. The first great, 1730 to 1760. Key points of this great awakening were a call to repentance, a call to holiness, a call to the change, a change to the moral fabric of the nation. See, the church, here we had the Puritans that came over from England. They had a hunger for the Lord that drove them here to establish a Christian nation. But you get to this period here of 1730 to seven, around the 1730 period, and at that time the church in the colonies had regressed there was a lot of compromise in the church. They had lost that zeal. They had lost that fire for the Lord. And that's what was happening in the church prior to this first great awakening. So this great awakening takes place in 1730 to 1760. And when it hit our nation, it affected every aspect of society, from education to government, family, cities, individuals. It also gave rise, this first great awakening, to... Uh, a man named Peter Muhlenberg who's pastoring in Virginia in the Black Robe Regiment. Just tell you a little bit about that history of our nation and encourage you to really study this out because it's so interesting. Peter Muhlenberg was a uh, pastor in Virginia. He was also a member of the Virginia State Legislature. He had gone off to meetings in the Virginia State Legislature in 1776 where, where he was hearing about all that Great Britain was doing in our nation, uh, blockading Britain and the, the war of Bunker Hill had been fought, and 
Great Britain was taking away many of our religious liberties here within the colonies at that time. He came back from those meetings so disturbed that on January 21st, 1776, he stood before his congregation in Woodstock, Virginia. He preached from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where it talks in that word about there is a time and season for everything. When he gets to verse 8 of Ecclesiastes 3, the word says that there is a time for peace and there is a time for war. Peter Muhlenberg stepped out from behind his pulpit. He had on a black clerical robe. He steps out from behind his pulpit. He takes off his black clerical robe, and underneath his robe, he has on his revolutionary war uniform on. He, that day, he has the drummer beat the drum to call the men together. 300 men gathered together. They became known from his church as the 8th Infantry Unit of the Virginia Army. He caused 300 men in his church to battle one of the first battles of the Revolutionary War that day. Now, I could tell you about other pastors. I won't go into it for the sake of time. Pastor Jonas Clark, others that were in the colonies at that time, that did similar things in their churches. They called their men together at critical points engaged the British in the, in the Revolutionary War. Now, this term, uh, Black Robe Regiment, that term was given to pastors in the colonies at that time by Great Britain. Because Great Britain said if it was not for the pastors and the men in their church, that America would have never won the Revolutionary War and broken free of Great Britain in that day and that hour. So you see on this deal up here on our slides, we have the Black Robe Tour, and I'm going to explain that a little bit more in a few minutes. But it was this great awakening that took place in that period that in this time where the church had backslidden, the church was in compromise in the colonies, this great awakening takes place. It unifies the churches uh, in the colonies at that time. And that unity brought about a real miracle. The miracle was that they were in that time and that period able to win the Revolutionary War. If you had to ask anybody in that period, if, if, if the colonies, if, if America goes into war against Great Britain, do we have any chance of winning this war? Anyone have told you, no, you would not have a chance to win that war. Great Britain at that time was the great superpower of the world. They had a great, uh, the greatest military and organization, government, and uh, that's what uh, the colonies were going against in that revolutionary war. But it was a true miracle that we as a nation, as won the Revolutionary War and broke free of Great Britain in that day and that period. It was a miracle. And that's one of the things, great things of the First Great Awakening is it unified the church in that day and that hour to see that miracle take place of the breaking free. And it's the British who said if it was not for the pastors and the church at that time, we would have never won the Revolutionary War. It was that unifying uh, work of the Holy Spirit in the First Great Awakening that enabled us to, to win the Revolutionary War in that period. Then you get to the Second Great Awakening, which took place from basically 1820 to 1858. It preceded the Civil War, the Second Great Awakening. And what had happened, here we're less than 100 years after the First Great Awakening. And once again, the church in America had backslidden. The church in America was full of compromise. It lost that zeal and that fire, even from the First Awakening. So here comes the Second Great Awakening, 1820. The key points to that revival and to that great awakening were just like the first. There was a call to repentance. There was a call to holiness. And there was a call to change the moral fabric of our nation. One of the key issues that, took, that was happening during the second great awakening during this time period was the issue of slavery in our nation. The shedding of the blood of the slaves in our nation. Charles Finney, who's one of the great revivalists in that period, 
made a statement. He said he did not believe that you could be a Christian and own slaves at the same time. Those two things did not go together, owning slaves and being a Christian at the same time. So slavery was a, was a key issue of this revival. But unlike the first great awakening where the, where the church unified to see the, the win of the Revolutionary War, the church in the north, during the second great awakening, the church in the north was willing and wanted to abolish slavery in our nation. The church in the south was not willing to do that. They would not uh, renounce and abolish slavery, the church in the south. It ultimately led to the Revolutionary War, I mean, excuse me, to the Civil War during the Second Great Awakening. It led to the Civil War and that Second Great Awakening. You see, I'm con- I am convinced that the Civil War either could have been totally averted or greatly diminished the effect of it if the church in that period would have united together to abolish and to, to renounce slavery, but that's not what took place. And the reason why I say this is because that's exactly what happened in Great Britain. There was a man named William Wilberforce in Great Britain who was a key voice in that time in 1833 to abolish slavery. Great Britain took that step, and they avoided any type of civil war. We did not take that step here in America, and we faced the civil war. There were 600,000 men in that, during that period that were killed in the civil war. And this is what we have to understand. During the, great, the first great awakening, the church united together, and we saw a great victory in, that, in the Revolutionary War. In the Second Great Awakening, the church did not unite together. We saw the Civil War take place, and 600,000 men at that time were killed because of this issue of slavery. Abraham Lincoln understood the Scriptures. In his second inaugural address to our nation, when he was being inaugurated for the second term, he said that 600,000 men died in the Civil War because of slavery. And this is what he said. He said, finally do we hope. And fervently do we pray that this scourge of war may speedily pass away. But if God wills that it continues till every drop of blood drawn by the lash must be repaid, drawn by the sword, let it be said that the judgments of the Lord are righteous and true altogether. In other words, what Abraham Lincoln was saying in that, he was, Abraham believed that the Civil War was a judgment on our nation over this issue of slavery. And the church at that time would not renounce it. It was, it was a judgment on our nation. And what's really interesting about that, well, I'll get to that point in a minute, about uh, what, what took place in those 600,000 men. We'll keep moving here for a minute. So as a nation, we stand in a similar time of history. And I really truly believe this, guys, that we are, in the, we are standing at the threshold of an imminent third great awakening in our nation. And do we ever need it in our nation today? But we're at the threshold of this third great awakening in our nation. And I really truly believe that there is a moral issue that is tied to this third great awakening. Just the kind of the issue of the, de- of, the, of, the, of the day of the first great awakening was the winning of the Revolutionary War. The second one during the second great awakening was the issue of slavery. And I believe the great moral issue facing us as a nation that's going to be addressed during this third great awakening is the issue of the shedding of innocent blood in our nation. We've had over 50, since 1973, we've had over 57 million uh, abortions in America. Uh, in 2004, right before we actually, we were, my wife and I were pastoring uh, All Nations Assembly of God Church in Arlington, up in Arlington, and uh, 
on Sunday mornings, I would get to the church early and just pray. I, we had a sanctuary, and uh, so I would come up early on Sunday mornings and sit on the platform and pray over the service. And this one Sunday morning, I was just sitting in there. It was early before anybody got there, and I was praying, and I had a vision. And the only thing I, the way I can describe it is the next thing I knew, I was not in that sanctuary anymore. I was standing out in the middle of a prairie field, and, and I could just see uh, this huge prairie field. This field was full of babies everywhere, and I could see them from about halfway up their arms, their bare skin, up the rest of their body. And all of these babies in this field had their heads thrown back, and they were welling. And uh, I still wasn't exactly sure what I was looking at. I said, I know I was looking at babies, but what was the significance of this? And immediately the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm showing you every aborted baby in America. He said, you're looking at over 40 million babies in this field. And the blood is crying up from the ground. They're crying out. They're welling for justice. The blood is crying up from the ground. And I believe that that's the period. And, and, and honestly, the vision was over at that time. And I was, you know, we had our service that morning. But that vision that came out of nowhere that day really changed my life and the path of my life, my wife and I both, that day. And uh, abortion was not, I knew abortion, I knew about abortion, I knew it was wrong, but it really wasn't something I put a lot of time and attention to. But that day, everything changed. And today, that was in 2004, 40, they were right at 40 million abortions in that, at that period. Now we're at 57 million abortions in our nation. I do believe this third great awakening is imminent, and this issue of abortion is going to be dealt with in this awakening. And I'll get back to that in just a couple of minutes. In Joel 2.12, if you have your Bibles, and I'd like to turn there with me, Joel 2.12, Joel 2 gives us a prescription for a nation that is in crisis. And this is what this chapter is really about, is a nation that is in crisis, what is the response of God's people in that day and that hour? When you know your nation is in crisis, what do you, how do you respond? How do we respond as a church? I believe the answer to that is found right here in, in, in Joel two twelve, where the word says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he's merciful. He's slow to anger, and he is of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. For the Lord your God. You see, I hear, I hear people say to us all, as we're doing this, and I've heard different people say, you know, we deserve judgment, and I'm in total agreement with that. We as a nation deserve judgment. Then they go on to say, I'm praying for God's judgment to fall on our nation. I'm praying for God's judgment to fall on our nation. And that's where I disagree with them. Because I believe Joel 2 tells us we have to have a response. In this day, in this hour, we do not need people praying for God's judgment on our nation. We need to be praying for God's mercy and blessing on our nation. We have to have intercessors that are praying for his mercy upon our nation. That has to be the response of our heart and the response of the church. Because God, I believe the Lord doesn't want to bring judgment. He wants to leave behind a blessing. He wants to send mercy. He wants to heal our land. But how are we as the church going to respond this day and this hour? I believe we have to respond by saying, God, forgive us of our sins. Heal our land. And gather together before him and call upon his mercy. That is the response, I believe, of the church today. On April the 1st 
uh, this year, just a few months ago, we launched out what is called the Black Robe Tour that you see on the bottom of this little slide that's up here. We launched it out on April the 1st. Uh, we are taking this tour. Basically, what we're doing today, we're taking this tour to uh, cities in Texas right now through our governor's election in November. We, we as a state face a critical election this, governor, uh, this, this November for governor. And uh, I would encourage you, every one of you, to vote, go out and vote, be registered to vote in November, go out and vote, and then I would encourage you to vote biblical values of life and marriage and religious freedom. There's a lot of things happening in our state right now that would, I, I thank God that we have been a state that has upheld life and marriage and religious freedom, and there's some, a lot of forces here in our state right now trying to strip that away. We have to be believers that will vote those values, and I believe God that we, will, we can hold our state to those values if the church in, the, in our state will respond. So we are get, putting all of our attention right now on key cities in Texas through our governor's election. And then once we get through November, we're going to take this Black Robe tour out to like key cities and regions in our nation. Throughout 2015 and up to 2016, we're in 2016, on April the 9th, 2016, we're going to have a national, it's going to culminate with the national pastors and Christian leaders gathering in Washington, D.C. on April the 9th, 2016. Now, as the Lord began to speak to us about putting this national pastors gathering together, uh, the date that we decided upon for this, for to have this national gathering was April the 9th, 2016. When we set this date, we did not realize the significance of the date of April the 9th. And uh, this was back in the first part of the year. Uh, we were involved in another conference that we were involved in with Lou Engel in February of this year. And while we were out in, at this conference in February uh, with Lou Engel, uh, the Lord began to show us the significance of this date that we had chosen of April the 9th. And I want to give you some key dates in history to show you what's happening on this April the 9th. April the 9th, from, from our own history, April the 9th, 1865, was the ending of the Civil War at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. Now, you would say, what is the ending of the Civil War on April the 9th? 1865 have to do with this gathering on April the 9th, 2016. This is what I believe that the Lord is telling us in this. As I said earlier, I believe that the Civil War was a judgment on our nation over this issue of slavery and the shedding of the blood of the slaves. And we did not deal with that as a nation. Back a couple of months ago, uh, we are in close relationships with a man named Matt Lockett who uh, heads up the nas- a national organization called Bound for Life. They're the ones that, if you remember what took place in the Capitol last year with the passing of the abortion restrictions, they're the ones that are pretty uh, well known for the, for the red life tape that is used uh, in prayer times in, uh, the, in the, at these rallies. And uh, Matt Lockett, was, they were together several months ago in D.C. They also had the Justice House of Prayer there in D.C. They were praying uh, one particular day while, while they were praying, uh, one of the girls that was there had a, had a vision, and, and that night she had a dream uh, about a hallway that she was in. And this is the significance of this dream. She said that she was in this hallway. Uh, it had several different doors. At one end of the hallway, she said the Lord spoke to her in this dream that that was the Appomattox Courthouse where the Civil War was decided, where the Civil War was dealt with uh, on April the 9th, 1865. What the Lord spoke to her in this, that was the Appomattox Courthouse of the Civil War. In that day, 
the church in our nation did not respond properly to what was happening with slavery. In other words, we did not deal with slavery in the court of man, and ultimately God dealt with it in the court of heaven through the Civil War as a judgment on our nation. He, she was in this hallway. She looks down the other end of the hallway. There's another door. She knows that that door is the door that will lead into our courtroom that will deal with this issue of the shedding of innocent blood in our nation. And what the Lord spoke to her in this was that uh, it's still before us as a nation right now. It's still before us as the church. Are we as the church, are we as a nation going to deal with the shedding of innocent blood of these 57 million babies? Are we going to deal with that in the court of man? Or ultimately, is God going to have to deal with it in the court of heaven? Um, a few minutes ago, I told you that, relating back to the Civil War, that 600,000 men were killed in the Civil War. What's so interesting about that is there were an estimated, they believe there was right at 600,000 African slaves that were shipped from Africa to, um, to uh, the United States to be slaves before the Civil War took place. So basically what that was, if that was a judgment from, from the Lord, and I believe it was on our nation, it was a one-for-one judgment. For every slave, 600,000 slaves, there was a man that died, 600,000 men that died in the Civil War. We're in a similar time of history right now. Are we going to deal with slavery, uh, excuse me, deal with the shedding of innocent blood as a nation, as the church, in the court of man, or is God going to have to deal with it in the court of heaven? And I'm doing all that I know to do right now to say we want to deal with this in the court of man. We do not want a similar type of judgment in our nation over the issue of sla- the shedding of innocent blood. Because if you're, talk- if you're talking about 57 million babies that have been uh, taken from the womb, and you had a one-for-one judgment. You're talking about 20% of our population being taken out in a judgment on our nation. And the Lord is, was saying in that dream, I believe this is what the Lord is saying today to us, is that we as a nation, we as spiritual leaders, Christian leaders, pastors, are we going to deal with the shedding of innocent blood uh, in the court of man, or is God going to have to deal with it in the court of heaven? And it's before us right now. So when we come together, so that's the significance, I believe, of this date of April the 9th, 1865, when the Civil War ended. When we come together in this national gathering of pastors, April the 9th, uh, uh, 2016, we gather together. One of the things we're going to be doing that day with all the pastors and churches and uh, spiritual leaders gathered together is to pray with hearts of repentance over the shedding of innocent blood. Say, God, would you forgive us? And would you come and heal our land, cleanse our land? Because there is a greater blood that can cover the blood of these babies. It's the blood of Jesus that can forgive us of our sins and heal our land. And that's what we have to pray. And that's one of the things we're going to be doing on April the 9th, 2016. Another significant day on April the 9th is on April the 9th, 1906, was a well-known revival, the birthing of the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles. When we come together on April the 9th, 2016, will be the 110th anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. One of the great things we're going to be doing that day is we're going to be praying, saying, God, send a fresh move of your spirit. We need revival and awakening in our nation. So when we come together that day, we're going to be praying for revival and awakening. And I believe if this Azusa Street Revival is not an accident, that will be the 110th anniversary date of that revival. There was a uh, prophecy given by William Seymour. During the Azusa Street Revival, William Seymour was an African-American pastor from Houston that uh, had gone to L.A. and 
it was at the very beginning. So he had been asked to come to L.A. He had a great heart for revival. And through his ministry and being a part of what happened in, in Los Angeles, the Azusa Street Revival was birthed. And uh, what's so interesting about this, talking about slavery, William Seymour, there was a, a, a smaller move of God that was taking place in Houston while he was pastoring there. And because he was a black man, they would not allow him into the services. He would, have to, he would go to these services and sit outside and listen to it through, through the door because they would not allow him to come in. And here he goes out to L.A., and he is the, the main dude, that, the main guy that the Lord used in that Azusa Street revival uh, a couple of years later, the birthing of that. He gave a 100-year prophecy to William Seymour that said within approximately 100 years, there would be another great outpouring, another great revival in America that would surpass the Azusa Street Revival, and the impact of our nation. So we're believing that the significance of this anniversary date, that there's something's going to shift, there's going to be a real move of revival and awakening when we come together on April the 9th, 2016. And the other significance of this date is on April the 9th, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed as a pastor in Germany on that date. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was really a lone voice as a pastor standing up against the uh, Hitler and the Nazi regime and uh, the killing of the Jews. And he was a voice. He, he tried to awaken the church. He tried to awaken other pastors. Uh, really did not succeed in that. It was too late. He was executed as a pastor and, uh, in that day. So when we come together on April the 9th, 2016, we're going to lift up the voice of pastors in our nation Unified together to impact our nation once again. So that's one of the other great things on that date that's going to happen. I think you would agree with me that our nation is at a crossroads today. Our nation is at a crossroads. We're in desperate need of revival. And what I so love about the Lord is that in, with our nation, it's in these times that we faced previously at that crossroads time, the Lord came through and he intervened and he brought a great revival. See, critical times call for radical responses. Critical times call for radical responses. And I believe that God is summoning, he's, he's putting his hand upon individuals, men and women, young people today. He's separating out men and women and young people today. That he can put the t- his touch on a uh, fresh fire of his, of, his, of his love and his power and his anointing on. And this day he's raising up people to separate themselves to this life of holiness and consecration, obedience, a life of purity and holiness. And I want to tell you, I believe that there is a prophetic generation that is arising in our nation today. It is arising that fills this separation, this call of the Lord to come forth in this day and this hour. Just as the Nazarites in ancient Israel were literally the hinge of history that brought forth uh, 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 revival and restoration to Israel, I believe that today the Lord is, in a similar fashion, that he is separating those out today, those that will be a voice, those that will be a hinge of history in our nation to see it return to its roots, return to the Lord, and to see revival take place once again. The Nazarites were the hinge of history, and God is looking for those today who are willing to say, I want to be that type of individual, that God would move on my heart to say, I want to be one that would be a hinge of history, be a voice in this nation. See, do you want to be a voice in this hour is the question that we have to ask ourselves, do you want to be a voice in this hour? Do you want to be a, the hinge of history that could literally turn a nation back to God? And there is a prophetic generation that's arising. 
And this, in this day, God is looking for flashpoints of revival, flashpoints of revival, anointed vessels that he can move his, his fire and his spirit upon to touch and anoint and be those that change a nation, those who will burn with intensity and passion for Christ. That they'll be so consumed for God's, for God's mercy and his glory to fill the earth they will say, I will be the altar and the sacrifice. Only let your fire fall on my life. I will be the altar. I will be the sacrifice. Let your fire fall on my life. Just as Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal in his day, and we know that God came and he moved, he, he rained down fire from heaven, he consumed the sacrifice. Elijah's passion for God sparked, sparked a spiritual awakening in Israel and turn the nation of Israel and, that, and turn their hearts in that day. And I want to tell you that I believe that we stand at a Mount Carmel moment in America. We stand at a Mount Carmel moment in America. And God is looking at the response of his people today, those that he is separating out, calling out, saying, will you be a voice? Will you be the hinge of history? Will you be the one that said, I will lay my life on the altar and let the fire fall that I may be one that God uses to turn the nation back to him? You see, when we come together, we're doing all of this black robe tour right now that will culminate in Washington, D.C. on April the 9th, 2016 with, with uh, uh, D.C. 16, Cry Out from Joel chapter 2. It's all about raising up the voice of pastors and the church in America to change our nation, to be the hinge of history once again. So what I want to do right now is I want to uh, just play for you a real short video and then we're going to be, uh, pray for you this morning. We are standing at a tipping point. The ground is shifting. The world is changing around us. And the eerie thing, the stunning thing, or the scary thing, nine harbingers of judgment are now appearing on American soil. Warning of national judgments. And I believe that we are in an emergency. And we've got to throw aside the excuses that have kept us from getting involved. When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling and peace has become sin. You must, at the price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. We have a responsibility as Christians and ministers to do something about the circumstance that we are in. We're not just fighting a political battle, but we're dealing with principalities and powers and this present darkness in the land. God says, my name is Jehovah, and I'm going to anoint some folk to take back authority in the land that I've earned. These are the days of Elijah. You are the Elijah of the day. You can't avoid the moment any more than Elijah could avoid his moment. Will you be ready? You have the highest calling on earth, higher than the President of the United States. Live in a manner worthy of that high calling, and the anointing will come.
Man. You know, today, it was addressed in a video right there. What we face is not a political problem in our nation. This is not about riding the donkey or kissing the elephant. It's not Republican, Democrat. It's a spiritual problem we face as a nation. And it requires a spiritual answer as a nation. And that we must have revival and awakening take place. And I truly believe that in this day that God is earmarking voices. He's putting his hand upon individuals, young people, men and women, to be a voice in this generation. To be a voice in your city, some to be a voice in the nation. To bring revival and awakening that would take place, that would shift our nation once again. I want to tell you, I'm not uh, without hope for America. I still have great hope for America. I believe that God wants to shift America and bless it once again and send true revival and awakening. I believe that's the heart of the Lord. But I also believe it depends on us, the church, us as the body of Christ in our nation. Are we going to see it turn? It's all dependent upon us. What's our response going to be? And he is earmarking those that he wants to anoint as a voice in this generation. Those who he desires to be at the hinge of history, just as the Nazarites were, just as Elijah was, that hinge of history that will turn a nation. And that's the period that we live in right now. And God's wanting to do that. I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray for you today. This is what I want to ask, and I'm going to ask this question, and I guess literally everybody could raise their hand to this, but I really want you, want you to raise your hand. That is truly the desire of your heart, that you would say today, I see the state that our nation is in. My heart weeps over our nation, is grieved over our nation, but I'm not without hope today. I want to be one that will be a voice in this nation. I want to be one that will be the hinge of history of revival that can turn the nation. However, whatever that looks like for you individually, for me individually, whether that's within your family, within this city, or within the nation, that you desire to be that voice, that voice of hope, that voice of encouragement, that voice of revival, that would turn hearts back to the Lord, that you would be that hinge of history. If that's your desire, truly your desire, I just want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand this morning. And let me pray for you today. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you so much for this congregation. I thank you so much for Generations Church, for Pastor Allen, Yvette, their heart for revival, their heart for our nation. Father, I pray for everyone who has their hand raised right now. Father, I believe that you have America on your heart today, on your mind today. Father, that you have not given up on this nation, that you desire to have mercy upon our nation, you desire to bless our nation, and Father, that you today, you're raising up voices, you're raising up those that you are, you are putting your hand, you're marking on, that they would burn with intensity in this day for you, God, for your word, for revival. So Father, I pray for everyone that has their hand raised right now. Father, I pray that you would just touch your hearts right now. Father, you put that marking upon them. 
Father, that they will be a voice in these coming days. They will be the hinge of history in these coming days. Whether it's within their family, within this city, or in maybe this nation, God. That you touch them, you anoint them, you brand them, you burn your, your intensity and your fire within them, God. And they are a voice that shifts. In any situation, that shifts, God. Shifts the heart of people back to you. Shifts the heart back to revival. I ask that, Father, in Jesus' name today. Father, mark individuals in this place right now. Young people, adults of any age, men and women, mark them today, God. I feel that there, I pray there will be a sense of that marking even right now upon hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want to ask you to take your, uh, if you would, I just want to pray for revival here at Generations Church. And if you would, just take the hand of uh, somebody close to you right here. I want to do this. I want to do this from a place of unity today. I truly believe that the Lord is wanting to use Generation Church, one, to have a great revival here. A fresh outpouring of His Spirit on this body. But not just for you guys. And not just inside these four walls. But one that will truly touch this region. Touch Granbury and touch this region with a fresh move of God. So that's what I want to pray for today. I want to pray for the church. I'll pray for you guys specifically. Father, we lift up the church in America today. Father, I thank you, God, that I believe that what you're speaking to us, you're speaking to individuals everywhere in our nation. Father, I pray that our, the church in the coming days, pastors in the church in America, would be fully awake, God, fully awake to what is happening, what is taking place, Father, that they would begin to call their congregations, as it says in Joel 2, to this place of prayer. Father, not to pray for judgment, but to pray for your mercy upon our land, that you would send another great awakening and revival that would shift our history, the history of our nation once again, God. I pray that that would begin to happen. Fires of revival all over this nation, I pray, God. Fresh outpouring of your spirit all over this nation, Father, I pray. Father, I pray that, God, where there's desert land, where there's parched land, where the land is so dry, there's cracks in the land. Father, that you would begin to pour out your spirit, rain down your presence, God, that would begin to forge rivers in the dry place, rivers in the desert, rivers of life, rivers of salvation, rivers of healing, rivers, God, in our nation of, of, of life and power and healing, God, in Jesus' name. And, Father, I pray over Generations Church, Father, that you would begin to pour out your Spirit in a fresh way on this place, God, upon this congregation. Father, I pray that in the coming days, in the coming weeks or next several months, there will be this tangible presence, this tangible understanding of what you are doing within Generations Church, God. This fresh outpouring of your Spirit that would sweep in multitudes and salvation healings and deliverance, God. And Father, as that begins to take place, Father, you would take that move of God, that revival that begins to take place in these four walls, you would take it out of here, God, and touch this city, touch Granbury, touch this region, Father, with this fresh outpouring of your Spirit. So Father, I just believe that, that that's going to be taking place. I pray for that today in faith, God, that you would come and do what only you can do at Generations Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we have these cards up here. These are basically save-the-date cards. 
And uh, we would love for you to take one. We'd love for you to come to D.C. on April the 9th, 2016 for this gathering. But what we need more than anything else right now is prayer. And if you would take one of these and just like stick it on your refrigerator or whatever, and every time you see it, pray for this event. Pray for Rachel and I and my family as we're uh, putting this together. I appreciate it so much and appreciate you allowing us to be here today. Thank you so much. Check the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's few that have revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins, you can't be social Then seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store Know that great is your reward, and just be hopeful. You can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to. You can sing all you want to. Still get it wrong. Worship is more than a song. Take a break from all the plans that you have made. Sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Things you heard until your heart. 